to talk about this thing. You know, this is such a great season. Thanksgiving, which prepares our heart for incarnation, Advent at Christmas. And all of this prepares our heart to go into 2024 with a, with a mindset of heaven. You know, and sometimes we, we want to have our mindset by current events. And current events are important, you know. They, I mean, Lou was here a couple weeks ago and he declared Israel is God's time clock. Absolutely. But we often, we still don't know exactly what time it is. You know, when I, I met Jesus in 1972 and I was quite worried that I wouldn't finish reading the Bible before Jesus returned because this was imminent. We wish we'd all been ready, you know, and, and uh, left behind and all these things were you know, real scary. I've just believed the whole Bible. When I, you know, I met Jesus, I threw away all the false gods, all the, you know, um, Eastern religions that I'd been studying and weird philosophies and revolutionary politics and everything, you know, just was, and followed Jesus. So I, I prayed God to help me finish reading the Bible before you return. So he did. And he gave me a big vision about it and it was amazing. But but my, I asked my friend who was discipling us, how, how long till Jesus comes? He said, well, Israel became a nation in 1948. The latest possible time Jesus could come back was 1988 because 40 years is one biblical generation. And I know I'm just like, whoa, what's going to happen? You know, so anyway, obviously that was not the accurate, you know, the time Jesus said, it's not for you to know. He will return. He said that, you know, so, and we're looking forward to it. It's our blessed hope. We're, we're just saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. But in the middle of everything, our focus is on the goodness of God. Our experience is the grace and mercy that out of his riches, he saved us. And this is the reality we live in as ambassadors of Christ, as citizens of heaven. You know, so even though we're in this world and this world is a mess, we don't set our hope on the conditions of the world. We're here to influence as salt and light. And uh, I just want to say that. So a couple great things that have happened this week, I just found out in the first service. This week, just some people out sharing the gospel prayed for someone who was healed of colorblindness. Now that seems pretty significant, like... Oh, yeah, just, you know, haven't seen colors, and now they see them. I think, thank you, Jesus. That's only God can do that. And a, and a deaf ear healed. Just so in, in the first service, they're all excited because they're out sharing the gospel out just on the streets and places. And, and I said, God, thank you, you're good. Something that happened to me personally on Friday, and I told you last week that I'd say a little more about Peru. All I... I, and I, I don't have a lot of time, but I just want to say this. God is opening these amazing opportunities in Peru that are absolutely, you know, just blowing me away. Um, and they're opportunities for revival and to reformation. You know, we've talked before that the government, the military, the national police, all these people have opened up. This is, you know, Peru where they passed the, they, you know, they, they passed the don't mess with our kids law. We were with... Pastor uh, Milagros Awayo, who wrote that law and who's part of the Congress there, 
and uh, who actually Jason met years ago because she and her husband started out rescuing uh, girls who had been trafficked and then uh, were let were discarded, and uh, and so and now just this week uh, per- the Peruvian Congress passed a law on the human rights of the unborn that every unborn child has full human rights they're completely protected, and I just say. Remember what Lou was here and he said, Peru, you're leading the parade of history. Let's just believe that he's a prophet and he was speaking the truth. Um, anyway, on Friday, Edgar and Yudira and I were on a, on a Zoom call with government leaders in Peru and uh, they had their attorneys and, and more people, like, like this big group showed up to talk about the possibility of a sustainable energy project that could really impact Peru and just change and involve the universities and their economy and industry and it's just mind-boggling none of this was planned it's just God doing something is that I, I think God's do you think God is in control or do we think the the world economic forum is in control and you know they're telling us what our future will be I think you know if we believe Psalm 2 that God is laughing at their plans because they're raging against God and against his standards. And even for, I mean, you know, ungodly lawmakers in America, beware. As, you, as they rage and make laws against the standards of God, God is laughing. And he, <laughs> because he, he's going to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. How many know that? That he's the Lord of history. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. And everything that happens in between, he actually is sovereign over it. And he can just push the stop button on any evil plans at any point. So maybe humanly we think, oh, it's impossible. AI is going to take over the universe. And, you know, and I'm just telling you, only if God has purposed it. But so anything that's not in his purpose isn't going to happen. I'm just, that's good news. So I want to talk about Thanksgiving, you know, this that actually Thanksgiving is an encounter and it brings us into the presence of God. This is the best preparation possible for this season that's coming up where we'll be with, you know, we'll be with families and for some of us, getting together with families is gonna be like heaven on earth and we're just looking forward to it and like everyone is beloved and the conversation around the table is going to be so encouraging and edifying and the rest of us are all in awe and wonder that someone actually has a life that's that good because for many people, you know like, okay, yeah, except for Uncle um, I'm trying to pick it Oscar. <laughs> Uncle Willie, you know, is going to be there and like, oh no. And then Aunt Agnes and I, my, uh, my apologies to any Oscars or Agnes this year. But, the, but, you know, I mean, it's just like this happens in a lot of extended family because everyone's welcome at the table. Hey, Jesus went to Matthew's house. <laughs> With all the tax collectors and prostitutes, do you think that was a real functional gathering? But the light of the world was there. And I'm telling you, you're going to be there and you are salt and light. If we can keep, if we can maintain and steward who we are in the midst of it. So I want to talk about that. Do you, I mean, do you agree? And Anna, we, we had so much experience with this when we were younger. You know, I mean, you know when we first got saved, we... 
you know, we shared the gospel with every one of our relatives, and some of them prayed to receive Jesus, and a few of them actually followed Jesus after that. But, um, but then, because some, you know, they pray it, but then then they realize the cost. They're like, mm, not really, you know, or the the. Uh, but in you know in our so we had this missionary sense toward our extended families because we were the first Christians in both extended family and. Uh, and so, you know, after you share it, then you, you have to just, like, live it, right? You have to be the light, let your light shine. And so we would always go, and we were really new. Mom, Anne's mom had some health issues, and we knew, boy, you know, we don't know how long she has. It's really important for her to meet the Lord. And so we would go visit her in San Francisco. It was a three-hour drive from where we lived in the mountains and in a slow Volkswagen bus that went 50 miles an hour. But <laughs> top speed, the... Uh, the uh, it was an old one. Anyway, the, but we, we would get there, and, and later we had better cars and we'd bring our kids. We would get there and we'd be distracted. We'd have high hopes and they were like, oh, you know, we'd get there. Has this ever happened to you? Like I'm just reading anything that's there to read and Anne's trying to talk to me and make helpful suggestions and I'm like, uh, mm, uh, uh, you know, and because somehow in the midst of it, we went into a different atmosphere that we were unprepared for, and we didn't know how to steward the grace that was in us and on us in all situations. Sometimes we were great at it, but that one in particular, it's like we'd get into San Francisco and it was like, the atmosphere would change. And so finally, after a few years of frustrating experience, because then we'd feel bad and we'd talk about it and analyze, like, but then we'd forget the next time we went. Because you have kids, you know, and it's like, oh, you've got all these great plans, and then somebody gets sick, or somebody poops their diaper, or somebody, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that happens when you have kids, and all you that are preparing for a big family gathering, they're all coming to your house, and you're thinking like, ah, you know, or else you're taking all your kids to their house, and you're wondering, will they survive, you know? The, uh, but so, so we, got, we hit on this strategy that we needed to forget about our own thoughts, and just get God's thoughts. So we, we said, you know what? We're just going to start speaking in tongues. When we get to the Bay Bridge, the bridge between Oakland and San Francisco took, you know, 15, 20 minutes to cross, and then another 20 minutes to get to the far west side of San Francisco near the Pacific Ocean where her parents lived. And so, so we just would pray in tongues. And when we got there, it, everything changed. Because we, you know, it's kind of, we got out of our own minds. We, you know, when you, when you, use this heavenly language, it, we, it says we give thanks well and we speak mysteries. And so we don't know what we're saying, but it's all good because it's God speaking through us. And it actually made us feel better. And when we got into San Francisco, the atmosphere didn't go on it, but we were just there in grace. And we, I mean, we didn't feel much different, but we were happy. We were united. And the conversation, for the first time, it got off of just trivial, what, you know, this and that conversations. We got into this, well, you know, you know, you know, I remember I was looking at the newspaper and I'm looking at, at obituaries or a, a funeral home or something. And I said, hey, Evelyn, have you ever thought about, like, if you ever died, what would you want to have on your tombstone? And it, boy, the conversation just opened up and we talked about life and death and eternity. And it was the first meaningful conversation we had with her and presented the gospel. And she, you know, she accepted it intellectually, but she wasn't committed. She didn't, she wasn't born again. And so we knew that, but we thought, God, thank you. And then she has a huge health crisis 
and we, and we rushed to see her. She was at St. Mary's Hospital, in, in, which was actually in Golden Gate Park. I don't know if it's still there, but we rushed down there, and we, we went to see her, and she, she got a little better, and then she had another health crisis. When we came back another time, and we thought, this is so important that we share the gospel. So we, we, <laughs> we were there. We got there at the hospital, and it's like, in the evening because you can't pick when health crisis occur. And so we're just getting to the point where now we're getting this serious stuff and we need to talk to her about eternal salvation. And it's nine o'clock and this German nun comes in and she goes, nine o'clock, you have to leave. No visitors. Well, could we just have 15 more minutes? This is really important. Nine o'clock, you have to leave. <laughs> Ever try to argue with a German nun? Some of you went to Catholic schools, so you know it doesn't work. And so... It's like, out, we're out. And so that evening, we called our friends who lived in, they, they were planting a church in San Francisco, Michael and, and, Michael and Diane Brodeur, who some of you know them because they've gotten involved with other ministries. And the, uh, but so we said, hey, you know, we've got our kids and we need to spend time with Anne's mom tomorrow morning. Could we drop our kids off with, with you early in the morning? So early in the morning, drove down to the south part of San Francisco, dropped dropped the kids off, came back, and we went, and, the, and we got there, and we got right into it, and we shared the gospel with her, and, and she was wide open, wanted to receive it, and it's like, as she was finishing saying the sinner's prayer, you know, Lord Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord and Savior, you're, that, that's when they came with the gurney to take her into an operation on her lung, which was supposed to be a, a short and fairly simple operation. It lasted over eight hours, and when they came out, they told us we lost her eight times, but she lived. And what was so great, the last thing we said to her, we said, Evelyn, if for some reason you don't make it, you'll be in heaven, you know? And so she came back, she lived nine more months, we got to share more of life with her, and then she passed away. And it, it, this is amazing, she's in heaven now, you know? Thank you, Jesus, you know? This is like, so what happened? We just stayed in the spirit, you know, we just stayed, we got a new strategy, we liked it so much, we, we would start speaking in tongue a half hour before we got to the Bay Bridge, you know, just because we wanted to be built up and shining like the sun, and may I recommend that before you get into these family gatherings, just prepare yourself. You know, we want to stay in him. We want to stay in love. We, he wants to stay in you. He wants to fill you with his love. This is his heart's desire. So Holy Spirit, we just pray you would fill us with revelation and understanding for this season to come that we would stay in the spirit, that we would walk in love. Amen. Amen. So, so that's my message this morning. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, I just want to encourage you that when you're in, we're in this world, we're going to have tribulation. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. First, he said, I give you my peace. How many know that Jesus gives you his peace? Right? This is John, uh, I, I forget, <laughs> 16. He said, I, 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 it's chapter 16. I give you my peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, be of good cheer, be courageous. I have overcome the world. And when we're going, we're not going, we're going in his victory. Like he's leading us in his victory. When we stay in him and, he, 
and he stays in us, we're carrying his victory. He already defeated all the powers of hell. He already defeated all the addictions, all the dysfunctions, all the rage, all the shame, all the stuff. And if we stay in love and we stay in him, our prayer is that we could see what he sees and that we could hear what he hears. And so when we're when we're in those situations, rather than getting intimidated, offended, and stumbled by what do you expect? <laughs> in, we're in this world that we're carrying the perspective of heaven. Leif Hetland calls it, put, you know, he, used, he had this whole teaching he did on putting on the Papa's eyes. You know, he had these special sunglasses you'd put on so you could see everybody through agape love. You know, but I mean, it's in the spirit. You can't actually buy those glasses, but it's like, God, let me see what you see. Let me see through the fault and see the need. Let me see through the dysfunctional, broken person and let me see where, where the root is and let me be the source of deliverance. And sometimes you can pray silently and take authority over things, you know, but don't get stuck on that. You're not mostly there to do warfare. You're mostly there to shine like the sun. You're mostly there to be light and salt, to be pleasant, to be loving, not to become, you can be adversarial with the spirits, but you have to kind of do it secretly with a smile on your face and pay attention to the conversation, you know, unless you want to get up on the table and preach like John the Baptist, and we'll see how that goes. You can tell us the testimony when you come back. But here's some things that we need to know about our lives in this season, because this is a season where there's a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of dysfunction. It's funny that all this happens at the dark time of the year, and God prepares us like, let's look back over the year and over our life and give thanks for all the good things that we've been given, all the things that remain good, all the new things, all the opportunities, all the hope. Don't get stuck on all the problems. Don't, you can pray for all the problems, but don't get stuck there because that's not your destiny. And it's, it might be your assignment to pray for them, but, but what you're doing, you're doing in grace, not in just pain and effort. Although sometimes there's pain in the prayer. But so there's some things we need to know about our life here. One, we're always on a journey. I love First Peter. He starts out, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So we're pilgrims. We're sojourners on a journey. We're resident aliens. We're scattered throughout the brokenness of this world system. It's not our home, but we're on our way to our home. <laughs> and we're chosen according to the full knowledge of God. How do you like that? You're chosen. God chose you according to his foreknowledge. He knew about your life way before you got here. He never forgot about you. He actually pre-planned you, and his thoughts for you exceed the sand on the seashore. This is who you are. You're chosen. You just go, I'm chosen. <laughs> Nobody picked me for the basketball team, but God chose me for his team. Hallelujah. Nobody picked me for, for the, the soloist in the church musical, but God picked me to be his child. How many think that's better? You know, like you just got, I'm just telling you that through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, grace and peace be multiplied to you. He just said, I am going to multiply grace and I'm going to multiply peace 
to you. Amen. So, so we're on a journey. Secondly, we're children of God. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we're God's children now. Not just when we die, we're God's children now. And what we shall be has not yet appeared. <laughs> so there's more in you than you've ever seen or anyone has ever seen. Only God has seen what you will be like when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what's your destiny? Your destiny is to be completely conformed to the image of Christ. And so on this lifetime, we're, we're, we're transformed outwardly to what is already becoming a reality inwardly, but you, we need to feed that inner transformation process with faith, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, with worship, with love, and with the word of God. No, okay. So we're children of God, and God gives us something called grace for the journey. Okay, so we're gonna talk about grace because grace and thanksgiving are related. In the, in the Greek language, the word for thanksgiving, is this, it, it has it right in the middle of it the word grace. And it's, it's like when you give thanks, what you're doing is you recognize the goodness of God's gift. First of all, that you even exist. Secondly, that you have consciousness of anything. <laughs> and thirdly, that he loves you. And you can respond because you were created in his image. You were created for love to respond with love. This is good. We're given grace for the journey. And grace sets us free. Ephesians 2.8, if you're in bondage, if you're broken, if you're dysfunctional, there are many people that they accepted Jesus and it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, but grace continues to save us. That, like we think, well, wait, the goal of that is not just that you won't go to hell and you will go to heaven at the end of your life, which is just a stunning, eternal, infinite gift that you can't minimize or not measure, but that during this life, you get more and more and more free, so you're more and more and more like him. And with some people, it happens almost overnight. How do you like Saul, the demonized terrorist who became Paul the apostle? Three days after he encountered Jesus, the scales fell off his eyes, and he started preaching the gospel, you know, like, and he was probably pretty rough, you know, and they had to get rid of him, you know, they snuck him out of the city in a basket. He was causing riots, but that was his destiny. And he got better and better at it. And thank God for his life because his letters become our understanding of how to apply the kingdom of God in this world. Oh, man. So salvation is life from the dead. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of Christ. Faith in every promise of God that finds its yes in Jesus. Salvation is life from the dead. See, sin doesn't just make us bad, it makes us dead. So we don't need someone who can improve us. If we just got a little better, then we would be great. We need someone who can raise us from the dead, who himself has been raised from the dead, who paid for the sin that kills us. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Isn't that great? Salvation is rescue from dysfunction. It's healing from disease. It's deliverance from fear and from demonic oppression. It's a living hope. 
It's a living hope, a hope where we're, we're living and we're trusting that the promises of, that Jesus made are absolutely true and he is our living hope because one day we will be like him. When time, when we leave this kind of time that we know and we enter into the kind of time that's called eternity, we'll be just like him. Living hope that speaks within. It changes the narrative from doom and fear to the promises of God. And I want to say this, if you're plagued with anxiety and fear and, and deeply distraught, and I've been deeply distraught about world conditions and tragic decisions that are being made politically and all that kind of stuff, if that dominates my thinking, I need to repent and let the promises of God dominate my thinking. Or else I'm going to walk around saying, yeah, let's just all dig a big bomb shelter or let's move 500 miles from anyone else on earth and set up our own perfect community, which will be perfect until the second and third person arrive, you know, <laughs> and then you're going to have problems. But I'm just saying, this grace sets us free from that. It changes our paternity. We become children of God. It changes our citizenship. It changes our destination from hell to heaven. And it transforms us in this world, training us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, meaning self-governed lives. How can we be self-governing? Because grace inside us can govern and sets us free from bondage to, to wrong thinking, basically. Okay, so grace, we have grace for the journey, it's the fuel. And grace is, increases every time we give thanks. Because when we give thanks, it connects us to grace. It, by giving thanks, we open the doorway to heaven. Psalm 100, verse 4. We enter his gates through thanksgiving. As soon as you move out of worry, out of anger, out of judgment, into thanksgiving, the doorway, the gate to heaven opens and you move into a higher realm. Catherine Ronaldo was here last week. She said, the solution is to come up higher. Like, don't stay down here in the problems. Go up higher and see what, from God's perspective. See the people, see the situation from God's perspective. And we're in a season of grace. Grace is God's ability working inside of every one of his children that allows us to do what we can't do by ourselves. It's God's ability in us that is setting us free continually. I mean, do you understand, you, are, you have more blessing available to you than Adam and Eve had in the garden. Be, it's, just, it's just crazy. I mean, it's just like you can't exaggerate the, this, what grace does in our life. It invites us to participate in the very life and nature of God who is goodness and truth and beauty. This is the happy, blessed life that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, that, and so, but that grace comes through faith in that all the promises are yes. Now, we might not see the promises yet, but we live with a living hope. Why is the hope living? Because, because the Holy Spirit is living inside you, and he keeps, he will point out and remind you and cause you and give you the ability to trust that those promises are ultimately true. And so optimism is, uh, you know, optimism is 
a matter of optics. Like people can try to be positive, the power of positive thinking, all of this stuff. It's good to a degree. But biblical hope is not optimism, is a matter of optics. I choose to see the good and ignore the bad. In the words of Bing Crosby, I accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. And, and that falls short of, of real living hope because hope believes the promises in the face of all the problems. Abraham, chapter four of the Romans, you know, Abraham knowing that his body was as good as dead in the natural, believed in hope against hope. He hoped against all the current circumstances in the promise of God. And so he received strength. His body was changed. We know from Hebrews that Sarah also received strength. They were rejuvenated from their bodies being as good as dead, from being passed the age where they could naturally conceive children, and they didn't just conceive any child, they conceived Isaac, the child of promise. And, and, and we're all benefits of that. And so, so he brings you us all into something called eternal life. And it, how do we fight it? We fight it, I mean, how do, we, how do we encompass this? We receive it by faith. So this brings us to the communion table <laughs> where Jesus makes everything that he's done and everything that he is available to us. And uh, do you have your, your bread? Okay. I want to make sure that I covered enough ground here that we can go on. Isn't this amazing? In Jesus, the invisible and unknown God becomes visible and knowable. Jesus is the human face of God. And the night he was betrayed, which coincided with the feast of the Passover, they're having a Seder meal. And he's with his disciples, and he takes the bread that's part of the meal, and he redefines it. You know, one of the questions that is still asked to this day in a Seder service is, why is this night different than any other night? And, and they're going to point to the night that the lambs were slain in Egypt, and the blood was put over the doorposts. And when the death angel passed through Egypt, they were spared. So this is what they're celebrating. And it's the whole deliver. It's not just that night, but it's the deliverance, the parting of the Red Sea, the journey through the wilderness, the, the miraculous entry into the promised land, the walls of Jericho falling, all the promises. So they're having this meal. And Jesus takes the bread, you can take your bread, and he holds it before the Father and he does something amazing. He blesses it, he gives thanks for it. Thanksgiving releases this 
miracle meal. The night he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks, which means he's returning grace to the Father for the goodness of creation. Now he, the creator of creation, is in creation, not, and he's not only the high priest, he's the sacrificial lamb. It's all mystery. And he takes the bread and he blesses it and then he breaks it. Sometimes it's in the breaking that the grace is really known. And he takes that broken bread. Do you have your bread? And he declares, this is my body, which is for you. And in Luke's gospel, it says, which is broken for you. It's like, you entered, you who are infinite entered into this finite world that we in our humanity and our frailty and our fight and nightness might carry the infinite. So this is the new meal of the new covenant. This is my body broken for you. Let's eat it. And let's remember all that he did and all that he promised. Let's eat it together. Father, thank you for every promise that finds its yes in Christ. We receive it. We partake of it with thanksgiving. Can you say thank you? Let's eat. This is the meal that's our foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is our meal in which we commune with Him, in which somehow we touch and refresh and are strengthened by that once and for all sacrifice on the cross. It lives in us. Thank you, Jesus. After the meal, he took the cup. And he declared something completely new to those who heard it. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He said, as often as you meet together, eat and drink in remembrance of me. Can you hold the cup and just say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood that gives me life. I receive it in your covenant. I give you my life in response. So let's drink together. seems like the best thing we can do right now is to worship in response to this gift. So some of you, you may want to stand up, you may want to stay sitting, but let's worship together.
Where 
singing this one one day and uh, in our house and worshiping and often one of my kids will sit down next to me often one of my daughters and my daughter Emma just sat down next to me and we were just singing that in your presence all fear is gone just so cool both of us just realizing that we were singing to our heavenly father together the father of fathers that we were singing about earlier and out of that she just began to sing and all my fear is gone here in your presence from all my fear is gone presence is in his love. Yesterday morning, I, I was walking down stairs from my office early in the morning, 
because I had, I had to meet someone. And I just was walking down the stairs, like I've done a million times, and I was arrested in a sense. Like I, I just got stopped by this thick, like a hug from God. It was like, I, I, it, there's no words to describe it. It was like a cloud, but it was like, like jello or something stuck all around me, this affection of God. It was completely unconditional. There wasn't any special thing I was doing or any special, you know, formula that I had been confessing. It was just God's affection. Here's the reality. He loves you at least that much, maybe more. He's more affectionate to us than we know. And so we have this command, 1 John chapter 4, God is love, and we know and believe the love he has for each of us. I added the each, but it's personal. Whoever lives in love lives in God. I want, I want you to stand up. Living in love and living, these are not philosophical concepts. These are experiential realities that the God of hope would fill you with himself, with all peace and all joy in believing. That the God of love would surround you with love like water in an aquarium and like a fish, you would breathe love. It, that love would be in you and you, you know, he's in us and we're in him. How can that be? He's bigger than us. And we're made for that. So I want to give you this commission. As you go into this season, this is the challenge. Live in love. Paul writes to the Ephesians, walk in love. As dearly loved children, imitate God. Walk in love. What does that mean? To walk in love, you have to be in a, a surrounded by love. Not the love of people, the love of God. This infinite, uncreated love, the love that the Father loves the Son with. The Son says, just as my Father loved me, I love you. I want you to close your eyes and just at least imagine. You know, imagining is like... A sanctified imagination becomes a place where God can reveal and show his reality. I want you to imagine a bubble around you that you can carry with you. And that bubble contains pure love. The love that's between the Father and the Son and the love that's for you as his son or daughter. So Father... I pray even as Jesus came into this world and demonstrated love and saved the world through love, that each of us would walk in this love, that it would shine from us in every meeting, every conversation, every action over these next two months, that these would be pivotal months where we come up higher, where we're delivered from fear and where we 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 find ourselves overflowing with all peace and all joy by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we abound, so that we overflow with hope, not optimism, but hope 
in the promises of God and their reality, that it would be in our families, our homes, our meals, our gatherings, and in every interaction and meeting we have, that it would be in all our journeys over these next months, that it would be in our businesses and our decisions, that it would be in our conversations, that love would transform and penetrate, and we would be a people who carry your love well. Can you say amen? In Jesus' name, amen. So God bless you. I love John's version of the Great Commission. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So go out and love well in Jesus' name, amen.